From deep in the heart of the swamp, this is Gator Tales, the official podcast of the Florida Gators. Gator Tales is brought to you by UF Health, the official healthcare provider of the Florida Gators. Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm your host, Adam Schick. While the Orange and Blue are cruising into October at 5-0, there are undoubtedly some scary matchups on the horizon. That begins this weekend, with one of the most anticipated games to hit the swamp in the last decade, with former rivals and current unbeatens Florida and Auburn battling on homecoming. On this week's show, we'll discuss the pending showdown and the keys to victory, college game day's long-awaited return to the swamp, the start of men's basketball practice, and Lee Corso's famous headgear selections in the PAT with FloridaGators.com senior writers Scott Carter and Chris Harry. But first, the eyes of the college football world will be transfixed on Gainesville this weekend, with the Gators ready to renew a once-storied rivalry with the Tigers. To get there, they first had to deal with Tigers of a different stripe from Towson, so we begin our roundtable with Scott and Chris by assessing Florida's final tune-up before the gauntlet begins. Well, Adam, I mean, to me, they went out there and did exactly what they should have done. Uh, they were playing a team that they obviously had a huge advantage against with talent. Um, you knew that Towson with the quarterback, Tom Flacco, was going to make some plays. He did make some plays early in the game, made some big third downs that kept Florida's defense on the field. But guess what? None of them led any points. You know, they missed a field goal. The Gators blocked the field goal. Adam Schuler had the uh, block kick. And then the the offense with Kyle Trask in his second career start, he wasn't as sharp or as at least didn't throw as much as he did in his debut. I think he finished with 188 yards in this one, but he had a, an early touchdown pass, uh, a couple of the Kyle Pitts who continues to emerge. They got the running game going a little bit better in the second half with Damian Pierce. I think when you look at the way that game unfolded, everybody thought they would probably just be able to run the ball down Towson's throat. We touched on that on this show last week. It didn't really happen. Uh, I know that was a talking point afterward. Uh, Dan Mullen basically said, look, I mean, he jumped on the offensive line at halftime and said, you guys have to be mentally tougher. And I think they, they did respond some in the second half. But again, responding against Towson and responding this week against Auburn, uh, those are two different challenges entirely. And I, it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out going forward, especially during this difficult stretch. But the main takeaway, Adam, was you know they got a win that they should have, and they didn't do anything that put a damper on this upcoming matchup with Auburn because uh, – you know, Chris can talk about this, too. It's been a while since the, the buzz has been like this around Gainesville. Yeah, I'll disagree with Scott in that it wasn't what I would have expected out of a game like that in that for the same reason for what Scott said, the running game. I mean, uh, LaMichael Pirine still had gotten going. I think that's an issue. I mean, everyone knows. I mean, this guy came back to have a big year and uh, uh, he's averaging, I think, 3.6 yards a carry. Um, there's not a lot of creases when he gets the ball. And I'm not I'm not putting this on him by any way, shape or form. We know he's a really, really good player. The, off, the offensive line has to do a better job, and they're certainly going to have to do a better job against the, an Auburn defense that's, that's really, really good, uh, really ferocious up front. Um, defensively, uh, what was it, 8 for 15 on third down? Uh, Mullen referenced that in the postgame. That's something that shouldn't happen against an FCS opponent at home. Now, having said that, and this is especially important for the defense, uh, no C.J. Henderson, no Jabari Zaniga. 
no uh, uh, Ventrell Miller, no Sean Davis, no Juwan Taylor. I believe those are five. Those five really, really good players on defense. Mm-hmm. So uh, those guys are are coming back this week. Freddie Swain will be back on the offensive side of the ball. Uh, Kadarius Tony will not. We know that. So uh, Florida's going to get a few more bullets back to uh, holster up, and they'll need it because this is obviously a very good team. Auburn could make a case that. They deserve to be number one ranked team in the country given the quality of their win so far. The neutral site uh, win over Oregon to open the season coming from behind. I think they were down 21 6 uh, with like four minutes left in the third quarter. They had a statement win at Texas A&M in front of 100,000 people, and they just demolished Mississippi State this week. I think the score was what was it, 42 to six at halftime, 42 to 13 at halftime, yeah, something like that. And doing all this with a freshman quarterback, Bo Nix. So uh, Auburn's a very, very good team. This is the biggest game in the SEC so far this season. But to Scott's point, um, the atmosphere. We're going to take things up a little notch. What you're talking about game day, you're talking about throwback uniforms, you're talking about homecoming, um, a lot to get excited about, uh, the likes of which, you know, hadn't happened here. I mean, last year, everyone talks about the LSU game being the game that the swamp came back. Uh, obviously, this game is going to be along those lines. Uh, you know, it, it probably has to be better than that, given the challenge of uh, facing the Gators. Well, it's interesting, too, if you consider kind of this, this perfect storm all come together at once. You have college game days coming. The Gators were on HBO this week and part of that new 24-7 series. You have it homecoming as well, and you have two top 10 undefeated teams. I mean, there's a lot going on right now. And, and as a result of that, Dan Mullen and the players have talked about, hey, we have to take it up a notch. We have to get to that next level. What does that next level look like? We haven't seen the next level yet, have we, Scott? I don't think so. I mean, I don't think you can see the next level until you're challenged against teams like Auburn and LSU and Georgia. If they get to that next level, I think they're going to surprise some people in the next few weeks. If they're unable to get to that next level that Dan Mullen talked about, well, it could be a really rough uh, October for the Gators. Uh, I just think that what he what he's talking about is, you know, and just what we Chris talked about a little bit. I mean, I, I looked at the towels and went, okay, they go out, they're missing some key players. They win 38 nothing. Uh, yeah, you're right. It wasn't a dominant performance. Maybe not as much as they wanted. Maybe if they'd gone out and won 60 to nothing and, d- and rushed the ball for 300 yards and Towson didn't keep the defense on the, the field, some on third downs, maybe Dan Mullen's singing a different tune. But I think as much as, imp- uh, if anything, next level right now involves just getting some guys back. Those players that Chris just mentioned, when you're missing that much talent on your defense it's going to be hard to reach the next level so i think getting zaniga and henderson back and taylor and miller and i mean those are some talented guys and so i think that's part of it i think also the offensive line i mean if we're going to harp on it until i guess they go out and you know have one of those huge rushing games they've only rushed for 200 yards once this year they had 232 against ut martin uh they're still i think ranked 11th or 12th in the sec in rushing you know, going in with what kind of running game they had with P. Ryan and Pearson Davis, you, you figured they were going to at least be middle of the pack or better in that department. But I think what we've seen here is this offensive line, it's starting to show up now. I think Dan Mullen, he basically called them out. I mean, they got to get tougher, man. I mean, it's a young unit. We've talked about alpha dogs a little bit this year with Dan Mullen. <laughs> he's been looking for some alpha dogs. Well, I think right now he's looking for <laughs> Yeah, I think right now he's looking for one or two on the offensive line. You know, they have some guys who just haven't been through these kind of games, haven't been through these expectations. And uh, again, Auburn is 
as good of a defensive front as they're going to see all season. Until this week when Jeremiah Moon won defensive lineman of the week, an Auburn player had won it three weeks in a row. Wow. Derek Brown's one of the best defensive linemen in the country, Marcus Davidson. I mean, they're loaded. So it is going to be a huge challenge. And you know what? I think for Florida to do well, I think, yeah, the running game needs to produce, but I think a lot of it might be on Kyle Trask. In terms of that buzz that we're talking about and having game day and being on HBO, what kind of tangible impact have you guys seen come from that? Where where do you feel it and where do you observe it? Well, I think you feel it the night before. Actually, more like late afternoon before is when the cars start rolling in and the flags and the and the RVs and and games like this. The buzz is always different. You can sense there's something much bigger about a game like this. You get excited for something like that. The vibe on campus is different. Um, I mean, I was just down in Spurrier's office uh, a little earlier. He goes, got a big game this week, Chrissy. I go, yeah, yeah. That's something he didn't say last week. And that's something he didn't say in Tennessee either. Um, this is the, I believe, the uh, 18th game between uh, top 10 teams uh, ever at Florida Field. And it's the first one since 2012. There were two that year, Florida and LSU and Florida and South Carolina. Florida won both. Florida has, I believe, a 12-5 and record in the, those previous games. So um, you don't you don't see this very often um, anywhere. Uh, you know, Alabama's ranked in the top 10, top five all, all the time. You just don't play a lot of top 10 teams, uh, not a lot of those those double games. So they're games to be savored. You hope the fan, fans do their part. And by that, I really mean the students. Uh, they, they need to get there early. That's been a it's an initiative that's being put out by uh, by the football team, by the athletic director, by everyone associated with the athletic department. They want people in their in their seats early on to get the juices really going. It was a lighter crowd last week, which was to be expected. There's no reason for it for a game like this. And you ask about how how you start to sense something. Well, that that would be a really good uh, way for the hype to manifest itself with a full student section and the electricity going before 3:30 when the CBS cameras turn on. And undoubtedly a huge game for recruiting as well. The kind of weekend you have with this much attention, you want to perform well. No question about that. Um, before we talk about this Auburn matchup in particular, I'm curious for you guys just to, to shed a little light for younger fans. Because, I mean, even myself, I didn't grow up with Florida and Auburn being an annual game. I just remember it happening every once in a while. But I think part of the reason we're doing the throwbacks this weekend is sort of calls to a time when Florida and Auburn played every year. And that, that's one of the, the main things that was lost when the SEC expanded was that Florida-Auburn rivalry. Yeah, I mean, 1945 to 2002, they played every year. They were interrupted a little bit for World War II, but before that, I mean, they were playing every year since 1927. So this is a big deal for the for the old guard folks, of course. They're much different than than the Miami rivalry, I believe, because the the magnitude. Florida played Auburn and Georgia back to back, seemingly forever, and it was quite the uh, the duo. And to have those games, those programs, those traditions. Went a long time, and I remember my first Florida-Auburn game was 1990. It was Spurrier's uh, first season, and I think Auburn was unbeaten, but they had two ties. And they came rolling in here number two in the country in 1990, and um, Florida just annihilated them. I believe the final score was 48-7. And uh, since then, I mean, Florida went on a run. They obviously had a couple of those games in 93 and 94 we talked about the 25 year anniversary series of a couple year uh, a couple weeks ago of the 1994 team being back uh Auburn handing them that loss when they were number 1 in the country in week 6 
Patrick Nix, the father of Bo Nix, the current Auburn quarterback, throwing the touchdown pass. Uh, certainly a storyline to be rekindled for, for this week. But uh, Florida, let's see, you know, won in 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, 2000. Uh, they won twice in 2000, including the SEC championship game. But, I mean, Auburn has handed Florida some horrific losses in this century. I believe it's uh, four out of the last five. They've, they've played five times this century. Auburn's won four of them. They beat them in the 06 year. Their only loss during the national championship year when Tim Tebow was a freshman. Mm-hmm. Um, they beat him in 2007 when Tebow won the Heisman Trophy, and that game was in Gainesville the last time uh, Auburn came here. In 2011, the last time they played an ugly game, 17-6 to at Auburn. So, uh Auburn's had obviously had their number this century. Is the number up? Well, what's cool about it is their two top ten numbers and something to get excited about. And you mentioned that, Chris. I looked this up myself today. Those top ten numbers. This will be the seventh time these two programs have met when both ranked top Ooh. ten. But there's three and three in those matchups. Mm-hmm. So kind of like old times. The first one was back in 1983. The number fifth ranked Gators against the number fourth ranked Tigers in Auburn. Gators lost 28-21. They got them back and. 1985 and lost in 87, but then of course Spurrier did pretty well after that 94 game that Patrick Nix won. They- and of course, there was the 86 game. Florida trailed 17 nothing in the fourth quarter, and Kerwin Bell runs the ball in. I want to say, you know, it was, what, 20 seconds yeah. left in the game, runs yeah. in the two point conversion to win 18-17 in a in a year that was Florida's first off uh, uh, TV probation. Big win, obviously. Then one of one people remember fondly for Kerwin Bell, but this has been a uh, this has been a great, great rivalry. It's uh, been a missed rivalry. But, uh, people make the point all the time. If you come to Florida or Auburn to play football, you should play this game. The way the SEC is structured, I believe um, there should be more diversity in the in terms of being able to play uh, more teams. And uh, uh, Auburn-Florida matchup obviously is one that's uh, – a lot of people have missed and first time in eight years. Mm-hmm. Well, and looking at this particular matchup, you know, on paper, obviously it's, it's favors Auburn because they're favored in Vegas. And I think most people would argue their resumes so far has definitely been more impressive. So I'm curious for you guys, when you look at it and the matchups, where do you see Florida finding that edge? Where do they win this game on Saturday? You know, the odds makers have Auburn a little bit of a favor. I think two or three points on the road here in Gainesville. That's, that's a little bit unusual for Florida to be the top 10 and to be uh underdog at home. Bottom line is, uh, you're right, the Auburn's resume is more impressive. I mean, Florida's big win so far, you know, they opened a season against Miami. And then the road win at Kentucky where they came back. I think... For Florida to win this game, if they surprise us and run the ball much better than they have, I mean, that would be a huge benefit for the Gators. They're going to have to have some running yards in this game to win. But at the same time, I'm not going to be surprised if Florida makes it a really good game and Kyle Trask throws for 300-plus yards. I think he's going to be called on to do uh, quite a bit in the offense. But here's where I think the Gators might have an advantage, and we've seen it in his year and a half. Dan Mullen, he's done pretty good in these big games so far at Florida. He's, I thought he's, he's called some of his best plays against LSU and Mississippi State last year. Michigan, he coached a really good game. I just think that this, from what we've seen so far, I think Dan Mullen against Gus Malzone, that's a, both our offensive coaches. I just, being at home, I just feel that that's going to be the Florida's biggest advantage. Dan Mullen's knack for making the right calls, I think, is another advantage. But again, it's a hard game to really read. I, I can see it going either way. To me, if Florida wins, Kyle Trask is going to have to have a big game. And I think the defense 
is going to have to force at least probably two to three turnovers. Just to piggyback on that, I there's something about me that wonders if Dan Mullen hadn't held something back. I don't know. I don't know that that would be the key for a running game or something like that, but maybe some way to. Uh, use his guys on the edge to make that running game more productive or some element to the passing game because um, except for the Miami game and obviously the Kentucky game on the fly, the last couple of weeks they haven't been under duress really if you talk about uh, Tennessee and, and obviously um, this past weekend's game um, against Towson. So Dan Mullen hasn't uh, carved out a reputation as being an elite play caller, an elite offensive coach by not figuring out how to mask some weaknesses. And I think uh, maybe he's been eyeballing something for this week. Who knows? Uh, we hope that's the case because Gators are certainly going to need maybe some chicanery to stave off that Hawford pass rush, which, man, Derek Brown is a really, really good football player. Supposed to be a top 10 NFL draft pick next year. He could have been one maybe last year and came back for his senior year. So uh, kudos to him. He's playing as advertised. And uh, Dan Mullen's going to earn his pay this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is something we're going to be talking about a lot more in the coming weeks, but Men's basketball, they got underway last week with practice and obviously their media day as well. They're expected by almost everybody to be a top 10 team. And Chris, I want to know from what you've seen so far, what does it look like? What does it feel like as they get ready for the season? Yeah, media day last week, um, first practice Friday. Uh, gosh, the first practice was two hours and 44 minutes. And I I told people, I told, I told Scott that night, really, really high level basketball practice. Um, the likes of which I hadn't seen around here in a while. Um, the overhaul of the roster, um, this new recruiting class, the addition of Kerry Blackshear from Virginia Tech, the return of these three sophomores that started the bulk of the season last year, including Andrew Nemhard, who he was he's been away for a, a good portion um, since the season ended. Since I'm talking about since last season ended, dealing with NBA underclassmen, um, dipped his toe in there, came back. Now and then he was dealing with Team Canada in the uh, in the FIBA World Cup. He was missing a long time, so it's just been good to see him back on the floor because he he's he's obviously poised to have a really really big season, having played the last basically six weeks before coming here for Nick Nurse, who won an NBA title with the Toronto Raptors. So uh, just watching these guys especially compared to just to call it like it is, there's some low energy on this basketball team uh, last year. Not only did you not feel the energy, you didn't hear it. And uh, you're supposed to hear energy in basketball practice because it starts with defensive communication, which carries over into games. And that's been a, that's been a baseline that this team has set immediately. And it's a team, whereas last year you had Kavarius Hayes as the one voice, Oh my goodness gracious. Now you got voices in Andrew Nemhart. You have uh, voices in Kerry Blackshear, who is the only, I say senior, but he's a grad transfer. But you know who the loudest voice on the team is? It's Noah Locke. And this is a sophomore who uh, had a pretty good year last year. He was the second leading scorer on the team, but got hung up with a groin injury that really, really affected his uh, level of play late in the season. He had trouble getting lift on his jump shot, which was at one point was really, really good. I'd say uh, halfway through the season, three quarters of the way into the season, um, he ends up setting the record for most uh, three-pointers uh, by a freshman in school history with 81. Scotty Lewis is a guy with a voice. These guys aren't afraid to talk and communicate. And this was at the media, the open media practice, so uh, I'm not giving in away any, any secrets here. There's some other guys, uh, people in the media who saw this and probably had their jaws drop a little bit about how not on how hard practice was, but how they kept at it and how hard they were working. 
Um, and we're a long way away. And I, Scotty Lewis in the huddle, we're going, we're five weeks away from a basketball game. And that's just, that is true. Uh, the, f- the first game is going to be um, November 5th against North Florida. But there's plenty of time to iron some stuff out and for some roles to be carved out. But we'll talk about this again, I'm sure, a week from now, get an update on all this. But uh, there's a lot to be excited about within the program. You might have read or seen last week, Mike, Mike White got a contract extension that will go through 2024. So there's a lot of positive things going on in the basketball program. And like you said, uh, the polls aren't out yet, but when they do come out, this is going to be a top 10 basketball team and um, uh, high expectations that are that are being embraced, but also with a dose of perspective that nothing is handed to you. And while it's a young group, uh, it's a mature group. And it's a group that um, that's going to be exciting just to watch them get better as the season progresses. And we look forward to talking more about Mike White's team as they progress toward the start of the year. But right now, we're going to shift to our PAT and close on a, a fun topic I thought of a couple days ago. Once I knew college game day was coming, which is the first time they've come in seven years, hard to believe, 2012, that Florida LSU game you referenced earlier, it's the last time college game day was in Gainesville. And they're no longer going to be on the North Lawn. They're going to be over at Plaza of the Americas. But the thing that stays the same, and I think it's been going, I'm not sure how long he's been doing this, but Lee Corso and his headgear pick. I don't think he was doing that back in studio when they started the show in the early 90s, but it's become pretty much the the hallmark of the college game day experience at 11.59. What headgear will Corso wear? I want to know from you guys, taking out things like heat and maybe it smells terrible, what headgear would you most want to put on if you had that opportunity? I mean, I like mascots. I like the whole mascot thing, how they don't talk. And I think we talked about <laughs> this before. I'm just fascinated by that. There's this, like, it's this law, like an unwritten baseball law about how you got to hit the guy or if he hits your own guy or something. It's like the mascot law where they can't talk. But I'm infatuated with the banana slugs. Do they have a headgear for the banana slugs? I, I don't know and I don't care. I'm just infatuated with the notion of a banana slug being the mascot for, for anyone. Um, John Travolta had the mascot on in, in Pulp Fiction. I didn't even know that, what a banana slug was. But uh, if they ever did college game day on the, on the Santa Bar or excuse me, the Santa Cruz campus, I, I don't know what it would look like. It could look like a giant amoeba for all I know, just pulling it over his head. But I, I would like to see what a banana slug would look like going over my head. Other than that, um, I just assume watch Lee Corso do his thing versus uh, me having to pull something over his head. I don't know. Scott's head's pretty big. <laughs> I'm going to pull like a big Scott head over, over my head one time. Do you think I could pass a Scott Carter if I pulled a Scott Carter head over my head? Maybe. You have to you know, you know, have to not shave for a few days, though. Maybe even <laughs> I, like I, a week. That's true. That's, that's exactly. true. You know, I'm probably not as infatuated with mascots as you guys are, since I think this is their second PAT on mascots in the last, what, three weeks? Well, no, in fairness, the last time it was about the Sports Center commercials. That's right. But Chris and I both referenced the New Jersey Devil as being one of our favorite mascots in those commercials. Well, I'll start my answer off by saying that, bar none, the greatest mascot in sports history has always been the San Diego Chicken. That is the premier mascot in the history of sports. I thought Gator Scott was going to say the Gators. <laughs> <laughs> now, if I was Lee Corso and I could go around pulling mascot heads on, you know, I'd probably just do Bevo. I've always liked Bevo. It, it's a traditional one. But, you know, the one thing I would imagine is once you pull the head on and you got those horns sticking out, 
it'd be a lot easier to go through the crowd because you could bend down your head and clear them out like running with the bulls in Pamplona. Right. So I, when I would have Bevo's head on, that's how I would envision getting to the press box, just put my head down and horning people out of the way. So that's why I said Bevo. And if you ever want to see a cool mascot, go on YouTube and just type in San Diego Chicken. And that's the best mascot ever. Have you ever seen San Diego Chicken routine? I know about the San Diego Chicken. I'm not sure if I've seen the routine. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Best mascot ever. I want to say... By the say, way, the, the Stanford tree is kind of interesting. That was going to be my answer, was the Stanford <laughs> tree or the Oregon duck. I had kind of a Pac-12 flavor, but it's amazing. As much as Chris and I disagree on almost everything, we seem to consistently align when it comes to mascots. It's kind of bizarre. Well, yeah. you guys are probably, I mean, you're all developing a close relationship. You're finding <laughs> out more against uh, about each other. You're all going to have your own podcast soon. You just scoop me on out. That's right. Just talk about Matt. We'll just talk about mascots. <laughs> the, uh, I actually, I've been to uh, basketball games where the Stanford uh, tree, tree was there and he dances. And um, it's just, it's just bizarre seeing this tree uh, buzzing around. Now you, there's nothing about, Stanford Cardinal that suggests tree, but if you've ever been to uh, Northern California and been around there and been to seen the Redwoods, obviously that that's why they have the Stanford tree and what have you. But uh, I, I assume that's why you were going to mention the tree, right? I just think it's cool. Okay. Although the other one I just thought of um, before we wrap up is St. Joe's. They have the, they're the Hawks, right? Oh, and yeah. I don't know if you guys have been at a game where Florida is playing St. Joe's. You've covered it in any sense, but during every basketball game, the Hawk stands behind the bench and he is obligated to flap his wings the, the whole entire time. time. And he's on scholarship. He's on yeah. scholarship and his job is to flap his wings from the second that game starts until it ends, which is just a fascinating random mascot fact that uh, I happened to come across during my time. Well, uh, I think it was two years ago, whatever Cam Newbauer's first year, they had they played St. Joe's here, and that uh, I was sitting at that game, and that hawk never stopped. And <laughs> By the way, the Gators opened the uh, Charleston Classic this year against St. Joe's. I think the game starts at 1.30, so the, the guy will be uh, uh, will be flapping from one th- – very early flapping for him. Well, before we go off the rails any more than we already have, I want to remind everyone to stay locked into FloridaGators.com throughout the week because there's going to be a ton of content related to this massive game between Florida and Auburn, and you can follow these guys to stay up to date on everything at Gators Scott at Gators Chris on Twitter. Uh, guys, have fun this weekend, and I will talk to you about it in about a week. All right. Thanks, Adam. See you, Adam. While they're often taken for granted when an offense is firing on all cylinders, it's easy to be reminded of how critical a strong O-line is when they aren't performing at peak levels. The center generally takes responsibility for the unit as a whole, and Florida has both brains and brawn in that spot in the form of Nick Buchanan. We spoke to the Georgia native about his personal development and most memorable moments over the course of his career, but began by asking him to assess the performance of his position group to this point. Well, when I go into the offensive line, I think of when we first started back in January. That's when I think about the whole team. And I think about, you know, when we go out there and do our drills on our own and the level that our technique was at. And I feel as though from then to right now, you know, we've grown a lot. You know, every day we go out there and we try to focus on our techniques and fundamentals and get better at the little things. But in terms of the big picture, we still aren't 
where we need to be. We still have to go out every day and practice, continue to grind and continue to get better as a whole unit. I know one of those things, too, you're really working on is the running game. I'm sure you, you're tired of hearing it from fans, from coaches, from the media. Um, in terms of getting that where you want it to be and, and working with Coach Hevesy, what are some of the biggest factors that have you where you are right now? How do you take that next step with the running game in particular? Well, in order to take any steps with the next step being in the run game, you have to work on your run game technique. You have to work on the run game fundamentals, little things that go into running the football. And at the end of the day, running the football is a mentality. So we really have to get down there and want to grind it out and want to run the football. So we have to come out there and get better every day and make it an emphasis. In terms of the differences between run blocking and, and pass blocking, I think a lot of people, they look at the offensive line and they don't know the nuts and bolts, right? They think, oh, well, if they can do one so well, why can't they do the other? What are some of the big differences between the, the two techniques? Um, I don't think there are too many differences. You know, you still have to have flexion in your ankles, knees, and hips. You still have to be strong. You still have to have a strong core. You have to lock your back. You have to have your hands inside. You know, those are the fundamentals of blocking, whether it's run or pass. But at the end of the day, it's just moving your feet like you have to do in run blocking. So there, so there are a lot of similarities, just run blocking your own forward. And pass blocking, you have to be stout going backwards. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk more uh, about what's going on with the team in a few minutes. But right now, I want to take things back for you a little bit. If you can tell us about your family, where you grew up, and, and some of the details of what made you who you are today. Um, well, I actually grew up in Latonia, Georgia. That's where I've lived my whole life. That's where my, my mom and dad still live today. I went to Dunwoody High School. You know, I played football there, got recruited, had a great time up there, you know. Uh, working hard. I'm still friends with a lot of those guys, you know, as far as recruitment, you know, I was more of a late bloomer to the process. I didn't really start getting offers till late into my junior year. And then I really didn't start getting power five offers until my senior year. But then, you know, once I got into the picture, you know, I took, I took advantage of my opportunity. I talked to coaches. I made sure my name was out there. And, you know, I ended up at Florida, which is the school I wanted to be at. When you talk about being a late bloomer, were you late to playing football? Like when, when did you start really playing the game and, and when did you take to it and, and know it was something you wanted to pursue? Um, I started playing football for real in seventh grade. And I always took football seriously just because that's what you do when you're part of a team, when guys are relying on you. So it was never, oh, I think I can make a career out of football or I want to play football at the next level. It was always, oh, I need to do exactly what I need to do in order to help my team win so my teammates can be happy and we can be the best team that we can be. And then, you know, just from hard work and dedication to my teammates and, and doing the right thing, then, then good things came out of that. I know offensive line is not a very – it's not a very sexy position, right? You don't get a ton of attention being on the O-line. Did you always play on the line or were you were you elsewhere on the field and then because your size, you moved? How did, how did that journey go for you? I always was playing on the offensive and defensive lines. I was always a bigger guy growing up. <laughs> So did you ever say like I want to I want to go be a tight end or I want to be more involved I'm, I want to be a skill position guy? Do you ever have that have that desire? I mean, I was more of an athletic big guy in high school. You know, during the summer one time, coach put me a tight end. I ran like a little 15 yard out route and the ball slipped right through my hands and I slipped on some wet grass. And from that day <laughs> on, I knew I was I was bound for the trenches. <laughs> that's funny. I guess that that's good self awareness, right? Got to know what you're good at, what you're not. Exactly. <laughs> You mentioned the recruiting process and kind of it started a little bit late for you. What do you remember about it in terms of what was important to you? How did you make the decision to go to Florida, given the amount of offers you were getting by by the end of your high school career? Well, you know, first and foremost, my parents always stressed to me education, you know, was the number one thing. Wherever I went, I had to get a degree. And since I knew I wanted to get a degree, you know, education and, and, and the weight that your degree holds was very big to me. 
if you look back at my top three schools when I was uh, getting ready to commit and sign somewhere, it was California, Berkeley, University of Georgia, the University of Florida. And, you know, the University of Georgia isn't as as prestigious as Cal Berkeley or University of Florida, but being from Georgia, it was because it's the biggest university in Georgia. Sure. So it sure. was all, where can my degree take me and where can I play big time college football as well? And that's why I ended up picking Florida because it's honestly the best of both worlds. It's the best school in the country that you can get to if you're looking to get the best of those combinations. So being a redshirt senior, you've uh, you've gone over multiple coaching staffs, first with Coach McElwain and now obviously for Coach Mullen. What have been the biggest challenges of having those changes? Because you have different position coaches, different head coaches. How have you worked through that personally? Um, the biggest challenge in, in any change in life is just, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're going to work. You have a new boss. And your new boss has different ways that they expect things to get done. And your new boss has different verbiage and a different language. But, you know, all when it comes down to it, the work is the work. You have to grind. You have to do what they're asking you to do. You know, you have to get used to the way they talk to you, the way they coach you and all of those things. But at the end of the day, you know, it's still football and it's still the fundamental basics that come into playing football of working hard and doing what's best for the team. When you got on campus, which upperclassmen were the most impactful for you? Was anyone in particular who really mentored you and, and showed you the ropes? Um, you know, it's a lot of those guys that I, that I can look back and look up to. It's like guys like Antonio Riles or Caleb Brantley. Even you guys have like guys who weren't on the team because he got hurt, Rod Johnson, Alex McAllister. You know, a lot of the guys who play offensive, defensive line back then, you know, Jonathan Bullard, you know, even Jared Davis, a linebacker, you know, Cam Dillard, Trip Thurman, there was a lot of guys back in the day, David Sharp even, and even some of the some of the younger guys in my class, like Martez or Fred, who were playing before I, I got the opportunity to play, you know, just helping me and talking to me and showing me the ropes of what, what it really means to be a college football player. As you've grown in your career, now you're, I mean, it's hard to be much more senior than you are. Which underclassmen do you feel like you've had the biggest impact on and why? You know, first and foremost, you know, I always start with my offensive line. All the guys that, have, that I've had the opportunity to play with, you know, like Brett Heggie, Stone Forsyth, you know, really building those bonds. And like even more recently, you know, you got guys like Richard Garage or like Kingsley Igwakwin who have come in, you know, recently and really put their heart and soul into the team. You know, guys like Kyle Trask, you know, when he first came in, you know, it, we were just talking to him and he was he, I knew he was a hard worker from the jump. You know, it's a whole bunch of guys that I really feel that I made a connection with. And, you know, that I, I got friends and brothers for life. Mm-hmm. You know, we always look at skill position players and we compare them to others at the next level, but we don't often do that with linemen. I think people forget to think about that, but I'm sure there's players you look at and you say, I want to be that guy in the future. or That's the path I want to follow. Which players are that for you? Well, you know, when you come to Florida as offensive linemen, especially specifically the center position, you know, you don't really have to go much farther than the, the Pouncey Twins. You know, they were some of the best to do it. They came through Florida. One of them won the Remington Award, you know, first-round picks. They go out and out there. They're getting paid. They're going out there in the NFL and doing their thing, putting on, representing the university well. You got guys like that. You also got guys like undersized guys like Kelsey from the Eagles. You know, you know, like guys like him, you know, who I can see, like I have similar body types to, similar athleticism to, and it's just some of, some, some of those guys. With thinking back on your career, I'm sure you hope there's still some moments that will top the answer to this now, but what moments or games stand out to you the most when you start thinking about everything that you've been through at Florida? I always think back at about three to four moments when, when people ask me, well, what really defines my career here? Um, the first one was my, fr- my retro freshman year, 2015, Tennessee, Antonio Calloway. He's going to score. He's going to score. Mm-hmm. Touchdown, Gators win. Because that was the first time I ever really got to experience the swamp rocking and moving and the crowd going crazy. And it was absolutely wild. The second time was 
like the complete opposite. It was we were playing Vandy, you know, and we had Austin Harden goes out for the game when they kick. And, you know, we had struggles in the kicking game that year. And one thing that you can hear is, is a pin drop in that stadium. You have 90,000 people being completely silent, and which is the complete opposite of what you think the swap is. But everyone was holding their breaths, and then he made the kick. And then everyone went crazy because, you know, I think that was the game that helped us secure the SEC championship that year. And it was a great moment. Um, it, it's really, as, and I'm ta- as I'm talking about it, like, especially my redshirt freshman year, we beat Ole Miss. You know, we had a lot of times. And then the next year we come, we beat LSU on the road, and we secured the SEC championship. That was a big win. Um, it's a lot of things like last year specifically, you can go back to LSU, Brad Stewart pick six, you know, and that's one of the loudest times I've ever heard the swamp. That was crazy. It's always good to be LSU. And then last year, especially just beating FSU for the first time in my career, you know, rivalry game, you know, you know, you get bragging rights for the next 365 days. And, and that was one of the best things too. So I've had a lot of great moments. Yeah, no question about that. Um, if you could go back and, and talk to the freshman version of yourself, what would you tell yourself as a freshman that you've learned now through experience, but it, it took you going through it to get there? Um, I'll probably tell him to keep doing what he's doing because I feel as though I'm in a good place right now, you know, mentally, physically, spiritually. I feel as though I stayed the course, you know, uh, stayed down for my come up, waited for my opportunity, and I, and I feel comfortable where I'm at right now. So I'll tell him to just keep trusting the process and keep doing what he's doing. I know you guys don't have a lot of time to do things outside of football, but when you do have some free time, what are some things that you enjoy doing? Every, I mean, I don't want to say like everything revolves around football, but like <laughs> when we just had this bye week, because um, we played week zero, so we had the one, week one bye week, and all the guys just really just gathered around because we were excited because we actually got to watch college football, you know, which is always a great thing. Saturdays, watch so many games on, you get to watch college football, and then you know we just like like playing the game, of course, two K, Madden, things like that, you know, it's, you know, just really just hanging out with my guys on the team, you know, just away from football in different ways. Mm-hmm. Now, you're an Atlanta guy, much like me. What do you miss most from home? Outside of family, that's the obvious. What are things that you could do at home that you can't do in Gainesville? Um, the food in Atlanta. I, I'm, a, I'm a real, I'm a hot wing guy, you know. <laughs> I love American Deli. You know, I go to American Deli, get that 15-piece hot with lemon pepper sprinkle, fries, and, and, a, and a peach drink. And, you know, and that's every time I go home, that's the first thing I get. If I say anything, it's definitely the hot wings. What's the reverse of that? What are things you've come to really enjoy about Gainesville that you can't get when you go back home? Um, in Gainesville, well, one thing is the traffic. Like, you know, <laughs> you drive everywhere in Atlanta and it takes you a good 25 or 30 minutes, even if you're going right down the street. Right. You know, you know, I save a lot of money on gas in Gainesville driving around the place. <laughs> but really, it's just, you know, I don't, I don't get to see my guys. You know what I mean? It's like I don't get to see my teammates and stuff like that. You know, going home, it's good to see family and everything. But, you know, these are the guys who I'm bleeding with. And, and grinding with every day. You know, these are guys I like to be around and have fun with, you know? Sure. It, it seems like a bunch of the guys on this team are, are Georgia guys in particular. Are there any that you go way back with? Did you play against some of your current teammates or play with them or against them back in the day? Or were these all people you kind of ran into once you got to Florida? Um, you know, I knew a lot of people because, you know, I've, I wouldn't say I played a lot of them because, you know, there's, there's this and there's that when it comes into, you know, playing. Oh, he wasn't playing when I was playing or, he went to school, but then transferred over here and stuff like that. But, you know, you you know guys through recruiting, through who you hear about somebody down the street. You watch film on them, all that stuff. And, you know, I, it's a real connection when you whenever you meet another guy from Georgia just because, you know, you talk about some of the things that, you know, other kids can't relate to and everything like that. So it's, it's always a good time when we have somebody from Georgia that we can talk to and stuff like that on the team. Sure. This can be football or can be not football, just in general. What's What do you think is the biggest challenge you've faced in your life and – what did you learn from overcoming it? That's a tough one. Probably just coming 
and dealing with, you know, you think you're going to come in here and play and really just, you know, keeping a strong and sound mind and, and, and knowing that, you know, there are other things that you can accomplish. Like I graduated in three years, you know what I mean? Which is a big accomplishment for me, you know, because now I have opportunity to get my master's. I'm graduating with my master's in December. So just, you know, keeping my head on straight and making sure that I'm getting everything done that I need to do, which is kind of like a constant challenge. You know what I mean? I wouldn't right. say there's one big challenge, but I say, you know, life is full of challenges. So I just try to, you know, do my best in life and, and keep overcoming every the, the challenges that come to you every day. What are you getting your master's in and, and what do you hope to do with it? Um, I'm getting my master's in business management. I'm in the Warrington College of Business right now. And I hope to, you know, one time be a manager of a big time company, you know, maybe a construction company, you know, work in corporate America, a Fortune 500 company, you know, try to help people out. And because I feel as though I'm good at directing people and I feel as though, you know, people like to, I wouldn't say like to listen to me, but I feel as though I'm good at getting my point across and motivating people to, to get the job done. Yeah, it's very cool. Um, this is a little easier for you. What's a weird hobby or a hidden talent you have that would surprise people? I am fluent in Spanish. Are you really? Yes. Wow. How, how did that happen? Uh, Spanish is my major. It was my undergrad major. That's what I graduated with. Huh. And why, what, I mean, what made you want to major in Spanish? Um, I had a great teacher in high school. I done with the high school, uh, Senora Clarissa Adams Fletcher, uh, uh, along with uh, Senora Christina Bilbao. And th those two really just, you know, I took Spanish in middle school, but I wasn't going to continue in the high school. But they really pushed for it because they saw that I had a knack for it. And they really pushed me. And so since I had great teachers in high school, you know, I was like, I took, I had credits for Spanish coming into college. So I was like, I might as well, you know, I'm good at it. So let's go with it. That's really cool. So, I mean, with that MBA, you can then do business and you can also, you know, do some international business as well, I would guess. Right. Mm -hmm. That's yeah. part of the plan. That's very cool. A um, couple of final things for you, going back to football a little bit. So you've had three quarterbacks to snap the ball to this season alone. What changes for you when the guy under center changes? Absolutely nothing. Why is that? The offense is the offense. You know, we might run a play for this guy or play for that guy, you know, depending on their athletic ability or throwing ability. But the offense is the offense. You still have to go out there. You have to block. You have to finish blocks. And, you know, you have to play hard. So it doesn't matter who's back there. We try to protect them, give them all the time they need, open up some running lanes for them if, if, if they're going to run. You know, it doesn't really matter what's, what's going on back there. I, I focus on what's in front of me more than what's behind. Yeah, we hear so much about Coach Evesey being a uh, an offensive line guru of sorts. Since you started working with him, what are some of the specific things he's done to help you improve? What Coach Hebesey stresses is doing the technique and the fundamentals that he teaches. You know, you might have learned something from somewhere else. Somebody else might have told you one thing, but he really wants you to do what he teaches because once you do what he teaches, then he can learn your deficiencies, you know, because everybody, everybody's different. Everyone can't do the exact same technique, but if he doesn't know what you can't do, then he can't help you to become a better player. So he, so he teaches you what he wants. And then if you do it exactly right and you're still not finding success, then he'll tweak it here or tweak it there in, in order for you to be a successful player. So all you have to do is listen, and he's going to tell you exactly what you need to do. Bringing things to this weekend, obviously the hype is, is going to just build and build. College game day is coming to Gainesville for the first time in seven years. It's homecoming. It's a top 10 matchup with an undefeated team like Auburn. Can you just talk about the energy it's given to you guys and how you felt that so far as you begin preparations? Well, you know, this is a big game. This is a big, big game. It's the next game. It's also a big game. Like you said, we have all those things coming to Gainesville. But at the end of the day, you know, you can't do anything different than what you've been doing. You just have to raise your level of what you've been doing. So, you know, if you if you take 15 minutes of film every day, then you have to raise it up to 20, 25. You know, you have to you have to increase your level because the level of play is increasing the team's 
who you're playing are increasing and, and the stakes are increasing as well. So, you know, you just have to raise your level and, and raise your attitude and make sure that you come out here every day ready to, to not only get better and win the game on Saturday, but win the game on Monday through through Friday and make sure that you're still getting better at the little things and, and not overlooking anything. Mm-hmm. I know there's there's secrets you can't divulge here, but just from what you've seen so far from Auburn on tape, what stands out to you? Um, you know, they're a big physical group. You know, this, they're coming from the SEC West. You know, they play ground and pound, old school football on that side. You know, so they're coming in and, and, and they're going to want to punch us in the mouth and we, and we got to be ready to fight back. Nick, thank you so much for your time and uh, good luck to you both in school as you pursue that Masters and, of course, the rest of your football season as well. All right, cool. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for this week's show. If you haven't already done so, be sure to subscribe to Gator Tales in the podcast app of your choice, and please leave a review to help us continue to grow. Game day starts with College Game Day at 9 o'clock from Plaza of the Americas on ESPN, and Florida and Auburn kick off at 3.30 on CBS and the Gator Sports Network from Learfield IMG. Then, be sure to come back next Thursday as we'll break it all down. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, and I'll see you in the swamp.